This is Cole. Learn how to tell stories in logic. My God. <laughs> You're so, this is so hard. And this is Ron. Yes. I hate your guts. Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie right there. Oh, desperation is a stinky cologne. We are the creative team. Oh, my God. I quit. Well, it's the big hole. Did you really just book that? <laughs> Michael Jordan and The Undertaker. Uh, in your face. One of them has 30 years, and the other one is just Michael Jordan. Woo! Welcome back to another exciting episode of... Oh! The Creative Team. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of... The Creative Team. I am your host, Cole Dawson, and with me, as always, my hashtag team kill, my hashtag team partner, Ron Kilborn. Ronald, I suck today. What's up? I mean, it is Valentine's <laughs> Day, Cole, and if my date with you goes according to plan, you will suck at the end of the show as well. Uh, you know, I have a, I have a strong feeling that we're going to get into all sorts of Valentine's Day shenanigans. Love is in the air. Chocolate is in my stomach. Dicks are in my wife. Dicks. Oh, my God. Uh... Uh, what? Sorry about that. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. You just kind of fell right in, but uh, <laughs> I felt. I mean, I'm I sure. I'm pretty sure I could have Sunday. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was, uh, you know, the Swifty Bowl was a thing, and boy, howdy, I should. We should probably get into that because you know, the 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 Super Bowl reached an entire section of people that I don't think football fans or football enthusiasts ever expected to pull in. This was probably the most like. Starbucks white girl event <laughs> that I've ever oh seen. God, like, yes. yeah, like my wife was not just the only obnoxious person that was there for the Taylor Swift hype, but it was like a a whirlwind, a sh- a shitstorm, if you will, of just shake it off, Swifties just celebrating football, and it's brought a lot of relationships together. So I'm kind of looking at the positive aspect of it. Yeah, this year I heard a lot less of oh my husband, all he does is watches football and. Uh, and it just transferred to oh we're watching football today, so I know it's it's so fun. We we did poke fun at your wife for for oh, for acting like a football expert. Uh, I mean the the, uh, the 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 libations were flowing, so she was in a good mood and uh, very much acting like the football expert after being invested for six weeks of her life into football. The last six weeks, she showed up with her Taylor Swift boyfriend T shirt on, which made me laugh. And then uh, we made fun of her all night for for screaming and cheering and and not knowing who the, any of the players were except for two of them. It was great, and she had <laughs> no idea at all. Like she like, didn't didn't even know she was being made fun of. She just owned it. Oh yes, she wore, was out of it. <laughs> literally wore it on her clothes. Like her shirt says, "Go Taylor's boyfriend." Like you know, she knew what she was walking into, but she was gonna lean into it a little further. And boy, <laughs> did she ever! And uh, she yes. accidentally played the drinking game every time Taylor Swift appears on your TV screen. It's time to chug. And and not only was she chugging, she ran to grab everyone else drinks as well uh, so that everyone could drink every time Taylor Swift was on. She's just the only one who drank her entire drink every time. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and to Matt- be fair, Taylor Swift was only on for 54 seconds of airtime during the Super Bowl. So <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, you know, it wasn't 54 seconds of drinking. It was every time <laughs> there was... They showed yes. her face, and it was twelve yes. times, according to my wife. She counted. Yes, at and, least. Uh, and uh, boy, when uh, when Usher came on screen, you know, and uh, everyone yep. came on the screen, 
at uh, our millennial football party, yeah, everyone absolutely. lost their minds. <laughs> yeah, no, I, every every lady in the house gave their husband the nod that night. That's for sure. Yes, um, for sure. It was great. Uh, and it, but it, but you bring up a good point about how one person who's a mainstream star can have such an impact on something, even like the NFL, that's the most popular thing in America, uh, bumping up the ratings, bumping up interest, just because Taylor Swift is involved. And that is a wonderful transition for what's been going on in the world of professional wrestling oh, uh, the last few weeks. So It's a great day. It it really it really is a great day when Cole is the one itching to transition from football into wrestling today. Uh, it's, it's nice to know that the shoe's on the other foot. But yes, you're well, right. It absolutely. was just a perfect transition. So <laughs> it really is. It really is, and it can't get any better than that. And boy, you know, I have so many feelings about what WWE has done because you know they're notorious for not leaning into the heat or leaning into what's going on of the perception of the fans wise. And they can t speak all day to that. This was always a part of the plan, but it just isn't that there's just one little detail that shits yes. all over that fact. And it's when Cody came out there and told R Roman Reigns that he's going to take everything away from you. Just not at WrestleMania. If that thing didn't happen at all, we could believe that this was the plan the whole time, but I will give them credit <clears throat> for a last minute pivot. This is probably the best outcome we can get for what we have. And, and just to the people at home, just to catch you up, if you haven't seen it, the yes. WWE hosted and mind you, this is where wrestling is today on the WWE side of things. All of the shows are great talking segments and then there's wrestling in between them. So what did they do? They go, they travel to where the Super Bowl is. They rent out the T-Mobile Arena and give out free tickets to come see just a talking segment disguised as a press conference. And they went in in character and pretty much delivered wrestling theater in front of our eyes. That was just magic to me. I was I was literally on the edge of my seat invested in this whole segment uh because of how well they recovered from the quote-unquote backlash because this type of backlash is something that we didn't think we would see because we always thought the rock was teflon like you know he comes right. out, he's not going to get booed he's not going to get booed but so to have a baby face like cody that's so relevant and so loved to the point where like you know we often talk about how daniel bryan got everyone to boo Rey Mysterio, which we thought was impossible. Right. Now we're here with uh, with one of the greatest stars of all time, and they're actually booing him. And The Rock, I know he's been itching to be a bad guy and, like, have it make me make sense. You know, yeah, he doesn't want to come out there and yeah. be a heel and be cheered. So it's like we're – the love of Cody is, like, basically gift-wrapped this scenario, and I just – I can't wait. You know, the, the fact that The Rock slaps Cody – they make it. They make yeah. it this royal family versus royal family thing. It's just. It's accidentally the best thing possible for Cody. Yeah, yeah, and that's is right after they had the promo with Rock, where Cody said, "I'm not coming after you at WrestleMania, Roman, but I I have somebody who knows you very well." And then Rock comes out and they embraced uh, in the crowd. You know, cheered in that moment. But once they, you know, we all had chance to calm down from the surprise of The Rock being there, uh, we got to thinking, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, are they doing this to Cody again? Are they really going to not? Like, how long can they do this? And people started getting really mad. I will leave just this little piece of wiggle room for them um, to where this may have been the ultimate plan 
or at least they knew this might be the reaction of the WWE fans, and so they had the pivot ready to go. When Cody did introduce Rock, nobody booked a match. Nobody said, he never said, I'm challenging Seth. He never, Rock never said, it's you and me, WrestleMania. They just faced off. So they didn't say anything. And then when I couple that with the fact that The Rock does have a movie coming up and he does need to start shooting, he can't have a full schedule. So like part of me, even the way they did this, which worked out brilliantly because like right after they did that, I started thinking, okay, this, this, the backlash, the way things are going, this could be the new yes movement. Like this is another yes movement in the making. I, and, and even rock had made comments about certain things about, you know, how they dropped. He felt that they dropped the ball with Brian Danielson years ago. And he would he he is going to make sure they don't do that again. This could be a huge thing. So even going into it, I think ultimately the plan was for Cody to be the guy. But I feel like it, it just it's hard to know whether this was actually the plan or they just realized Rock wasn't going to be able to be on TV for the next few weeks. So they had to pivot faster. Um, because it just feels really clunky. Like Cody wins the rubble. He goes, he points right at Roman and said, it's you brother. I'm coming after you motherfucker. It's we're doing this. And then in the press conference he said, yeah, I'm finishing the story. It's me. And fa- I'm absolutely, uh, you know, and then, you know, Monday they, they had Seth cut the little promo to put the little bit of doubt in there. And then, you know, six days later, Cody's backing off and letting rock take the spot. And then another six days later, Cody says, fuck that. I'm going for Roman. So a little weird. Yeah, it's a little, a little clunky, but. And, you know, hey, we're the creative team. So, uh, you know, I got like a fantasy of all scenarios. And I know, I know with the, even with this press conference, like, you know, Seth Rollins to me just looked like a cuck of a game show host up there. Just one of these right. things is not like the other. And I know <clears throat> they're trying to make his title relevant. I know they're trying to make him equal to these to these names up there. So I think. You know, I don't know if this is going to be the case, but if if it were me and you want to you want to double down on the rock being a bad guy and if he is going to go to WrestleMania and like we have some sort of stipulation to where like, you know, you know it's already been established that Cody is going to wrestle Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. And yeah. on the way there's going to be some I don't know, maybe a tag match or some sort of rock shenanigans. Night 1 of WrestleMania. What better like if you can't have your dream main event match against CM Punk What's the best other option? Give Seth the Rock on night one of WrestleMania. <clears throat> I think a possibility now, just looking at it. Although they are doing the Elimination Chamber gimmick, so I I believe they're... I, I don't know if they've said it about the men's, but they definitely said about the women's last night that whoever wins the women's Elimination Chamber is getting uh, Rhea Ripley or Nia Jax, whoever wins that match from, in Perth. But I feel like they might be leaning towards a tag match to protect Seth a little bit because he is injured. And The Rock, um, let's be honest. Yes, and The Rock because, you know, he's in his 50s and he hasn't been an active wrestler in a long time. And so it's... Uh, Do you feel you know, a one-on-one defeat of The Rock to retain your championship is a launching pad for uh, what they're trying to pull off for Seth? Mm. Do you think it would help in any way? I think it's one of those things where it only hurts Gunther down the line because like, I don't want to see Gunther feud with Cody and not win the belt. And I don't want to. And so I'd rather see Gunther go after Seth and beat him since he's injured. Um, They could do that on the way 
to Mania. That would be cool. And then we have a tag match on night one, and then we have Cody, and then we could have Gunther in a big match against whoever's going to win the chamber. I don't know. I mean, we got Perth coming at a big stadium. I'm I'm almost convinced if there is going to be some sort of tag match shenanigans, I think it might be happening at Perth. That could be, and that that would work too. I just I'd like to see that match. I think that works. Um, I I don't know that beating The Rock. It might it it elevates Seth in that people are going to see him beat The Rock, but I just don't know how serious his injury is. Obviously, it's not too serious since he's holding off surgery. Um, but man, I mean, you obviously can't put it on The Rock. Because they've been trying to build the, the whole point of that title was that it was going to be the title that's defended. It's yeah. going to be the workhorse belt. So you can't put it on the rock. Yeah. He's not going to be there. I'm quite I con- wouldn't hate seeing Cody lose in the tag match to the rock it, with with some all kinds of shenanigans and bullshit with the, the bloodline. So then that's your SummerSlam main event. And we already have that set in stone. That'd be great too, but yeah. I I I think the, I think Cody beating The Rock does something for Cody. It solidifies him as the tippy top guy, but yeah. I don't know about Seth. Yeah, because I'm almost think. convinced that Night One was going to be <clears throat> Seth's night to beat Punk. You know, Punk was going to get his WrestleMania oh, main sure. event, but Seth was going to ultimately beat Punk. So now that Punk's injured, you know, I you can't call The Rock a constellation prize, a consolation prize. No. So it's like, what's bigger? Is it the big story with Punk and he beats Punk at WrestleMania? Or is it The Rock? You know, one of those things has to help Seth. Was any Could any of I, it help Seth? I just think what it really comes down to is if he's going to have surgery after Mania, if he's going to be able to go through this and it's going to heal up and hold so he can wrestle, continue as the champion. Like I think that's the big deal. I just I really think they have to pull the trigger on Gunther coming out of Mania yeah. as as the next guy, and if he it, for Gunther the second he loses clean in the middle to one of these guys he's he it it hurts him. There's like there's no way around it. He has to win the belt when he goes after the belt. Like so I for me anyway. Like I think he has to beat Seth Seth at Mania. Then Seth can take some time off, heal up, get better. And then if he, if, when Gunther loses down the line, it's fine. It's okay. As long as he's dominant for a little while, like this intercontinental title run has been great for him. But I think if once he moves on to the main event type guys, if he can't beat them, it hurts him. So I don't know. They, 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 the problem with having a lot of top guys and guys that got over all of a sudden, you have to juggle a lot of balls and keep everyone strong. Like you can't just do what they did for 25 years with 50-50 booking and bullshit. Like, they have to capitalize on Gunther as a heel. Like, if he's a babyface, sure, he can lose. But as a as a dominant heel, what they put him as, he's got to win. Yep, so. absolutely has to win. And, boy, we can talk all day about the possibilities of modern wrestling for sure. But that's not why we're here today. And it is Valentine's Day, and love might be in the air. But this is not a lovely person we're talking about, Cole. This is one <laughs> of the brutal ones. He just happens. He just happens to look incredibly well. Uh, but uh, you know, what can you tell me about Greg Valentine? What speaks to you about Greg the Hammer Valentine that uh, speaks to you as a wrestling fan? So for me, uh, with Greg Valentine, you really have to go back to the late seventies and the early eighties to get the r- real best of Greg Valentine. I think Greg was the one who really kind of solidified the Intercontinental Title as the Workers' Belt. If we're being honest, 
Um, but even like his his runs in in mid south in the in the late seventies, go watch any of his matches with Wahoo McDaniel, and they, I mean, boy, you <clears> want to talk about big Haas fight? That's it. That like to me, that's the precursor. That's what a lot of the the Japanese wrestling was was kind of styled off of. Was that style the guy the stuff that Eddie Kingston and those guys are doing today, where you know guys are really hitting each other and laying in the chops and and that's ooh. and they, go watch the Roddy Piper Greg Valentine chain match. It is brutal. Uh, Piper suffered long term ear damage from that match. Like he ruptured an eardrum, and I mean they beat the hell out of each other. I mean they're wrapping that chain around their fists and punching each other in the face, not working shit. I mean they were hitting the shit out of each other with the, with the chain and using it like a like it was a strap match at times whipping each other with the chain legit and not hitting the mat to make a good sound just hitting each other with this chain it's like Greg Valentine's one of those guys that is as good as it gets in the ring bell to bell when he was on his game and he's the kind of guy that Gunther really is modeled after like Greg Valentine was the Gunther of his day in the seventies and early eighties. And then, you know, WWE happens and, and he became more of a mid card guy. And then they put him with honky tonk man, which we're going to get into today. Cause that's the, it, it was in fact the year that we're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, Greg Valentine for me is just like a worker's worker. The kind of guy that everyone goes, God, I wish I was that good. You know, frankly, I mean, he's one of those guys that gets lost in the shuffle like an Arn Anderson who's like, man, that guy really should have been the world heavyweight champion. Saying, well, Greg Valentine was right up there. And I think a lot of it has to do with his dad. Like if you lost, ask guys from Greg Valentine's generation like Lanny Poffo, we had the, you know, the honor to know him a little bit in our life. Uh, and Johnny Valentine was was the, the guy that was Lanny's guy. He said he was the best. Bill Anderson would tell us about how great Johnny Valentine was because he was just believable. And he famously was the guy who said, you know, I, I I can't make them believe that professional wrestling is real, but I can make them believe I'm real. And everyone believed in Johnny Valentine. And so Greg was chip off the block, was just one of the most believable guys. You watch his matches, you're going, I don't think this shit's fake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like this is bullshit. That's bullshit. But this guy's real, and that's you know yeah. really at some point when the the curtain's been peeled back so often, and you just want to be an example of the of the opposite of the perception that's out there because everyone started be- uh, not believing in wrestling. So once once workers like Greg Valentine or a Roddy Piper come on, or hell, even like you know in the next generation in the '90s, like Goldust was a stiff ass wrestler, and that's you know yeah. that could be that could be uh, picked apart. I'm sure. But uh, he he definitely hit hard. Look at some of the Razor Ramon matches. But uh, oh yeah, you know you touched on you know I know you're going to get into the career of him because how we start all taking up with creatives because we're going to be taking up with creative Greg Hammer Greg the Hammer Valentine in WWF or whatever WWE. There is no WWE when he was around and on top of the world. But uh, uh, you mentioned that you know you got something serious today. I myself may have an interesting cast of characters. But it's serious, and that's like yeah. that's what I'm happy. That's what I'm patting myself on the back for today. Especially, we both admittedly put this together last minute. Yeah, we had some things. So I don't have a full history of Greg Valentine's career because going from the '70s all the way up till the 1990s isn't that you know he was the Intercontinental Champion 1981, 1982. Um, he had the Dream Team tag team with Brutus Beefcake at WrestleMania one. And then he was he he came you know came and went and then 
I'm just we're gonna pick it up to 1990, where we're picking up he in 84 in 1989. Sorry, in April of 1989, the Ronnie Garvin feud started, and they carried that all the way to Royal Rumble, where they had their blow off match, right? So 1990 Royal Rumble, great match. It's 16 minutes. It's wonderful. Great psychology. Great storytelling. Make sure you watch the package. Listen to the commentary so you get the full story of what they're doing. Because it is it is a little bit of a gimmick match, but it's a submission match. It's not like just a straight up gimmick match. There's a reason for it. Greg Valentine has this shin guard that he had been utilizing to to help apply pressure on his uh, figure four. And it came into play in the match. It's great. Uh, it's one of my favorite matches ever. <clears throat> But right after that, Rhythm and Blues was born. And yes. Yeah. And so that was the rest of 1990 was them kind of as a jobber tag team. Although they did face off against the Hart Foundation for the titles once, uh, which was a gr- it's solid match. Greg Valentine, Bret Hart working together is always a good time. Uh, and then Honky Tonk Man uh, walked away from WWE at the end of 90. And that was kind of it. Greg Valentine turned babyface in 91. And just kind of did jobs for Earthquake and some other guys they were trying to get over in 91. And that was kind of it for for good old Greg the Hammer Valentine. He moved on to uh, the UWF and uh, was never really seen again in in major professional wrestling. So um, I'm sure we can do better than that no matter what we do. If we just like give him a couple matches and let him be serious for a minute, then <laughs> it's going to be better than what happened. <laughs> yeah, I am a lot more excited thing. about this than I than I was. Uh, you know, I when, as I was writing, I was like, "Man, I got nothing." And all of a sudden, I started writing. I was like, "Oh, I got something. Oh, I got gold." Uh, now I'm gonna yes. do the man right. And you know, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, personally speaking, you know, when we met Mr. Lanny Poffo, he did say my forearms reminded him of Greg Valentine, and that was me yes. being uneducated with Greg Valentine. So. <laughs> kudos to me for uh well, earning that yeah, yeah and 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 when we did meet him he was supposed to wrestle greg the hammer valentine that night but uh unfortunately greg got the call to go be on the rumble or monday night raw or some such nonsense and uh so he did not make that match uh otherwise we would have had a main event of greg valentine versus lanny poffo and uh but we got a substitution <laughs> yeah priorities greg priorities yes yes Yes, we could have met him and been disappointed with him. <laughs> yeah, I as met Brutus thrilled Beefcake. as we were with Lanny. <laughs> yeah, I met Brutus Beefcake. I don't recommend it. <laughs> so, would you like to kick off your kick this off, or you want me? You to know go what? First I would love to kick this stories. off because you know I'm in, right. I'm in you know I'm in sort of football mode. So let's kick it off. Uh, so I'm you know you know before I started writing, I realized holy shit, he was in the 1992 Royal Rumble. You know, he came in, yeah. had a big old scuffle with Ric Flair, and that was the last televised thing he did for the company. So I hit my little fast-forward button, and honestly, probably when I started writing this, I forgot that we probably agreed upon Greg the Val- Hammer Valentine in 1990 uh, just because of that match. But uh, the year is 1992 for me, and it is the, okay. Ro- and it is the Royal Rumble <laughs> that Ric Flair won. But I found out the hard way, and in the best way possible, that Greg the Hammer Valentine in the 1992 Royal Rumble was eliminated by none other than... That's right. A staple on the creative team. His name is the Repo Man, and he tossed Greg the Hammer Valentine out of the Royal Rumble in 1992, uh, virtually never to be seen again. So in a way, 
Repo Man repossessed Greg the Hammer Valentine from WWF. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I just, you know, creative juices started flowing. I started rolling with it. So. I'll allow it. You will allow it. It's, it, it you'll, it's, it's great. So on WWF Superstars, we see Repo Man make his entrance only to be viciously attacked from behind by Valentine. Valentine gets on the mic and says, Repo Man, you made a career out of taking things from everyone. Well, I'm going to take everything from you. The next week, we got a grudge match between Repo Man and Greg Valentine. The match continues until Repo Man exits the ring, starts going through Valentine's robe, and when it's clear that he can't seem to find what he's looking for, Repo Man looks up at Greg and asks, Where's the hammer? I mean, you would think Greg the Hammer Valentine would have a hammer. I mean, he's wrestled Jake the Snake enough to know that he's got a snake. His name is Jake the Snake, but Greg doesn't have a hammer. So, Furious Valentine starts chasing Repo Man around the ring. Repo Man lures Valentine into the ring, ducks a clothesline from Valentine, and repossesses the win with a surprise roll-up. Wow. Greg immediately attacks Repo Man after the bell and won't stop the <coughs> assault. He gets and gr- he gets out of the ring and grabs the bellkeeper's hammer and yells at Repo Man, You want to know where the hammer is? I'll show you where the hammer is, and begins to dissect him. Think of the, the Garvin stomp, but with the hammer. He starts to dissect hit Repo Man on every limb while tossing security guards and referees. He even nails some of the aiding wrestlers with the hammer. And when the dust settles and Repo Man is able to get to his knees, Greg delivers one final blow and smashes the back of his head of and smashes the back of the head of Repo Man as we go off the air. So this is the most badass uh, Greg Valentine has has seemed in years since at least yes. since he wore a dog collar. But he's, you know, he's destroying the Repo Man, you know, so it's certainly not good company, but it's certainly a foot back in the door to destroy some of the PG era shit or the, the cartoony era shit. So we're getting some realism here with some blood. Oh, yeah, he bled. I'm just going to say he bled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we are two weeks away from WrestleMania 8, and Greg has been gloating the entire, after, uh, the entire time after the assault on Repo Man. So Greg Valentine pulls out a repo, his Repo Man's signature eye mask as a trophy. Mean Gene Okerlund informs Greg that the Repo Man will return in action to face him at WrestleMania 8, and you better get ready, mister. So Greg the Hammer Valentine makes his entrance at WrestleMania 8. We're just going to say it's the opening match. Why not? So he's waiting for the Repo Man to come out, and then they cut to the back, and it's Mean Gene Okerlund, and and there's a figure turned around, and it it is the Repo Man. And he says, all right, Repo Man, you're going to go out there, you're going to get your revenge on Greg the Hammer Valentine. How does it feel? And he's like, Greg the Hammer Valentine, you took everything away from me. I know that. I know what it feels like, but tonight I'm going to re- destroy your WrestleMania dreams. And what's the use of a hammer if you can't smash anything? And tonight you're not facing the Repo Man. And he turns around and has smash makeup, baby. He's coming out there in full demolition get up, and it's going to be smash versus the hammer at WrestleMania 8. And it's going to be an epic battle of the ages. And. Greg the Hammer Valentine's going to win. But it's a moment of all moments, brother. It's it's one of those WrestleMania entrances that Triple H would have, but it's the Repo Man transitioning into Demolition Smash. Oh, it's such a great reunion in your ears to hear that music again and just destroy the Repo Man. And we go forward with Smash as, as a one-on-one Demolition Derby. And he's going to go after Greg the Hammer Valentine in a losing effort. But nonetheless, WrestleMania 8... There is something 
that you can sink your teeth into for Greg the Hammer Valentine, and I think definitely puts him as a shoe-in for the Intercontinental Championship again and kind of right the wrongs of uh, what uh, happened to it after that. Well, coming out of WrestleMania 8, Greg the Hammer Valentine going after Bret the Hitman Hart, I'm a here for it. So that's that's what I was hoping to get to eventually, but uh, I'm we're, you know I stayed in 1990, so I'm a little bit far away from that. So I'm not mad at it, you know. Uh, Barry Darso uh, in a in a last second storyline is is fantastic. And then uh, that's a strong pull. I totally missed the cue. I should have played that when I was describing the entrance. Yeah, you know, you know, but you know, Jim Johnson editing. will probably editing. sue us. You can always edit it. I could right always here. edit. Here comes the smasher. Yeah, because we can't have acts in there. So, like, you know, it'd be great if like Greg the Hammer Valentine went up to the top rope and told him, "Here comes the axe." And gives him an axe handle smash. There you go, dude. Creative, solid, solid. And uh, you know, after the week you've had, uh, that's pretty solid to come up with uh, at this point in the game. That's great. It was cathartic. Uh, yes, uh, you worked in uh, Barry Darso in something other than a tag bracket, so that's also great. Other than a bracket, um, yeah, love it. Okay. So I started writing, and then I realized I had three years' worth of storyline. But I'm just going to go from Royal Rumble 90 to Royal Rumble 91 and cut it off there. Oh, see, and so then, if you uh, went the three years, you, you really want me to. If you went the three <laughs> years, you could have caught up to me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, 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 yeah, I could have gone all the way through WrestleMania 8 being Valentine versus Brett instead of Piper, but well, I wouldn't want to get rid of that match. But <clears throat> So kicking off for me, after... Ronnie Garvin beats Greg Valentine at the Royal Rumble 1990. I'm leaving that in. Instead of joining forces with the Honky Tonk Man and becoming super uncomfortable and then fighting, dyeing his hair for eight months and then finally dyeing his hair just in time for the Honky Tonk Man to quit. Uh, I'm going That's a rib. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, instead of joining forces with the Honky Tonk Man... Ted DiBiase and Virgil are a little bit waffling at the time, so Ted's going to go out and start recruiting some muscle. And the first guy he comes to mind for him is Greg the Hammer Valentine. And so this is leading up to WrestleMania. Uh, you know, DiBiase's putting his money in, in into training for Greg and, and helping build him up. Uh, so at WrestleMania, it is Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Ted DiBiase for the million-dollar title. Uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine's going to intervene here and uh, and cost Jake the match. Going to run the distraction angle and uh, pop him with something while Virgil's got the ref distracted. And uh, it's going to cost Jake the match. So after the match, Jake is going for the, you know, he's going for the bag. And uh, everyone freaks out. Well, good old Greg hits him with the chop block. Boom, takes out the leg. Ruthlessly attacks his leg. Puts him in the figure four for what seems like forever. The, the you know, the, the agents clear out from the back. Everyone in their suits come out and try to break this up. Meanwhile, Virgil and Ted DiBiase steal the bag. They take Damien for a little ride, and now they have captured uh, Damien. The following weeks, Money, Money Inc. is walking around, flaunting the bag, waving it on the screen. Ted, uh, Jake the Snake is nowhere to be seen. Meanwhile, Greg the Hammer Valentine is going out there and just murdering guys in job matches, beating the ever-loving shit out of them and put slapping on the figure four, and they tap out very quickly and have to be helped out because their legs don't work after the figure four. We're really going to be pushing getting the figure four, out, four over. 
Meanwhile, at the same time, Ted Biasi is still out recruiting. He's trying to woo one Earthquake into joining this new group called Money Incorporated. Because anytime I can create a Money Incorporated group, I'm going to do it. And so that's just it for me. And so uh, as the months go by, uh, Valentine is just crushing another jobber. Virgil's at ringside with the bag. Jake jumps over the guardrail into the ring in the middle of the match and just takes out Greg from behind. Virgil gets in the ring. He puts throws a couple punches. Jake ends up catching him for the short arm clothesline, setting him up for the DDT. And as he's about to DDT Virgil straight through the ring, Earthquake makes his appearance, finally officially joining the group. Uh, Earthquake is putting the boots to uh, good old Jake here. Him and Valentine are ruthlessly going at Ted comes out, lays Dame the bag down in the middle of the ring. Earthquake starts to, he's he's telling Earthquake, you know, go for it, go for it. He starts to do the, the taunt, jumping up and down. And just as he's about to run off the ropes and smash Damien, I am a real American. Ugh. Hulk Hogan comes down to the ring. Money Incorporated leaves Jake in saving Jake from sure destruction. Oh, yes, sorry. I skipped the line. As as he's as Earthquake's jumping around doing thing about Smash State, Greg the Hammer Valentine is setting up Jake for the uh figure four. Hogan makes the save. And uh, you know, we've got a little bit of strange bedfellows there. Jake's not quite sure. He trusts Hogan, doesn't really uh let him help him up. He gets out, but the snake is still with money incorporated. Uh, da -da 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 uh so that's going to lead up to SummerSlam. We've got Jake the Snake versus Greg the Hammer Valentine for the attack and everything. And we've also got Hogan versus Earthquake. That was a real match that actually happened at that year at SummerSlam, so it's great. Uh, so Jake, during the match, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Jake's match, this is a little on the undercard, a little bit lower in the card. Uh, Jake becomes very distracted when Ted DiBiase and Virgil are holding the bad with a lighter threatening to light the bag on fire. And, of course, Jake would be distracted from that. And, once again, that allows Greg the Hammer Valentine to take advantage of the situation, hit the old chop block, throw slap on the figure four. And, yes, even Jake the Snake Roberts in this instance has no choice but to submit. Um, during the Hogan versus Earthquake match, however, uh, you know, Virgil goes to hop up on the ring and Hogan's bumping him just, you know, like Hogan does. Ted DiBiase jumps up on the ring. Hogan gives him another big punch. He's got his, he's full comeback mode. Uh, so the ref finally tackles Virgil and Ted. The, the, the agents come down. They've got all the refs. They're trying to get these guys back. And since everyone's distracted and looking away from the ring, that's when Greg the Hammer Valentine comes in with a chair. And from behind, lays out Hogan, sets the chair down, picks up the Hulkster, Pile drives him right on the chair and then disappears. And as the ref gets back in the ring, Earthquake does the earthquake taunt, runs, and flattens Hulkamania right in the middle of the ring at SummerSlam. We go off, well, not off the air, because we still have the Rick Rude on Ultimate Warrior cage match to come, but Hogan's going to lose. Hogan losing a match in WWE history is, or in WWF, is insane. I think he lost, like, four matches ever and so we're going to add one to the list right here and uh so in the following weeks 
Jake and Hogan start to form more of a bond and coming together going like, brother, we got to watch each other's back. You know, that, that's, you know, that trillionaire Ted and that, e that evil earthquake and, you know, his goofball Virgil and, but we can't forget about that hammer. That guy, he's killing everyone right now. He's, you know, breaking legs and whatever, dude. Uh, you know, all the good stuff that Hogan would be saying to Jake and Jake agrees and they start to form an alliance. So we have a couple of Hulk and Jake tag matches, you know, one in particular, it's uh, Hogan and Jake beating Barbarian and Haku because that's a fantastic fun tag team that everyone loves. Uh, but that sets up for a Saturday night's main event where Hogan and Jake will be teaming to take on. Greg the Hammer, Valentine, and Earthquake. So we get this feud's going. They're hot. Um, the match is going to end in a DQ when DiBiase and Virgil get involved. And now it's a four-on-two beat down with the big monster Earthquake. But Jake digs into his bag of tricks here. Uh, he remembers a couple of his old friends from the 80s in the original Legion of Doom. And here comes Hawk and Animal. Ah, what a rush Ooh. to make the save. Now we have a super team of Jake and Hogan and uh, the, 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 the Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, getting ready to go into Survivor Series to take on Greg the Hammer Valentine, Ted DiBiase, Virgil, and Earthquake, ladies and gentlemen. And this moment at, Sur at Survivor Series will be, will be the moment where Jake finally... Finally vanquishes Money Inc. and is able to reclaim Damien. He's safe. We didn't make snake burgers. Like everything's okay, ladies and gentlemen. No animals were harmed in the making of this storyline today. But you mean Virgil's not, not your sole survivor? <laughs> Could have been. That'd have been fun. Just the guys just get everyone counted out, and Virgil's just jumping up and down in the ring. Yeah, and then he, and then he can like dress all flashy, and that could be his new gimmick called Soul Survivor. Oh, that's beautiful. Thanks. Oh. So, coming out of Survivor Series, you know, Jake still wants to get his revenge on Greg the Hammer Valentine. But on the next Saturday night's main event, Greg the Hammer Valentine has been on such a roll, he's earned himself an intercontinental title match with the Texas Tornado, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, Jake is going to come down, of course, to try to get, get, his, get his revenge uh, with the Legion of Doom. And it's just Ted and Virgil there at ringside. So they come and try to stop him. A fight breaks out. Earthquake comes from the back. These three guys are fighting. And while everyone's distracted, good old Greg goes and finds uh, the chair again and lays out Kerry Von Erich, the Texas Tornado in the middle of the ring, wins the Intercontinental Championship. Uh, this is like in December, you know, uh, after Survivor Series. So I needed to get one more pay-per-view out of this, one more big match. So I stretched it on to Royal Rumble 1991. So in the weeks leading up to this Royal Rumble, it's announced live on national television, ladies and gentlemen. Not a Saturday night's main event, just a regular TV taping. We've got Jake the Snake Roberts versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. It's just a wild brawl. They're going at it. And then, you know, Money Incorporated gets involved. The Legion of Doom, Hogan, everyone gets back involved. Uh, and it becomes clear to Commissioner Jack Tunney there that the only way that we can have a fair intercontinental title match would be at the Royal Rumble inside the old big blue steel cage, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, at the end of this year of Greg getting this push little by little, he gets to have a featured match 
<coughs> at the 1991 Royal Rumble, taking on Jake the Snake Roberts in a steel cage match, where Jake the Snake Roberts will finally win his first singles title in the WWF, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, I could go on from here, honestly, because I had ideas about WrestleMania. I had ideas about everything coming out of this, because now that we've got Money, Inks feuding with Hogan and all these guys would do what do we do with the warrior and 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 uh do we still keep the warrior and uh good old sarge do we replace him with sarge with maybe earthquake do it like i have lots of ideas i could go on for like another year and a half with the storyline but we said 1990 and uh i follow directions and assignments so <laughs> yeah i just kind of like uh discovered that it ended a lot later than i thought and i i, I just yeah. like did it. i'm just going to carry on but you know, uh, you you honestly really put him on the map and really put better company with him and put him as a top oh, yeah. heel, which the WWF really needed at the time. You know, Hogan yeah. just did not want to let go of his stranglehold on that top position. And, you know, for my money, if Ric Flair never came into the picture, I think they could have got that gimmick out of Greg Valentine. You know, put him with Heenan and Mr. Yeah. Perfect. That would have been a sweet fucking stable. Uh, but, yeah. Good on you for giving old Greg, and I love that you called him old Greg a few times in your description. <laughs> uh, that's certainly going to play out, and it's going to make me watch uh, the Mighty Boosh as soon as we hang up. But uh, <laughs> but uh, I think we did the man proud, and I'm pretty sure he would have loved this creative a lot more than what actually took place in his real life in, and yeah, career. Be, be, yeah, being serious and, and, and understanding how talented he was, it, it wasn't hard to find something for him to do. Like the the only thing he was really missing was just a mouthpiece. Like, you know, it's not that he couldn't cut a great promo. He just didn't have a lot of charisma, if we're being honest. And so putting him with Ted DiBiase is like, oh, shit. Now we've got charisma flowing out the ass. But, yeah, I, I mean, same thing. We could have put him with Heenan and Mr. Perfect. It would have worked just great. It would have been a great fit. I mean, anything's better than putting him with fucking Honky Tonk, man. <laughs> I mean, unless you're trying to start a band. I guess. I guess. So. But, you yeah. know, uh, I mean. Next week, Cole, I mean, you, you were talking about, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine was just missing a mouthpiece. One can be argued that the person that we're going to talk about next week doesn't really need anything else because he's probably well regarded as uh, the best performer in the industry or in the world of wrestling, however you want to put it. But to Definitely up there. He's one of the top three or four that you're going to hear when it, when someone mentions Exactly. Him. If there's a family feud game on who the best wrestler ever is, I'm pretty sure he'd be like on there somewhere. <coughs> you know, it's it's, yeah. it's talked about enough to be the case. But we are going to go, we're going to transition from uh, sexual chocolate to Valentine's Day, and then we're going to discuss some heartbreak in the best way possible, because we're going to discuss the top 10 moments of the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. It's a top 10. We won't have to worry about any of us pivoting uh, accidentally off the topic at hand. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, uh, when, you, when it comes down to Shawn Michaels moments, you can have oh, six parts of these, I, I think. But uh, for my money, uh, Shawn Michaels moments can have its own bracket. Uh, so you know. probably, yeah, we probably could get 32 Shawn Michaels matches moments together easily, easily and had a bracket of what's the best thing that happened in his career. But I'm, I'm excited to talk about uh, our fandom of Shawn Michaels, the things we experience, the things that maybe we like more than others, the things that maybe aren't yes. talked about quite a bit. And that's really what I'm going to shoot for. I'm going to shoot for some obscure moments that, that like, you know, I, I'm just going to pull out of my head as a, as a as a Ron Cyclopedia wrestling fan, because he's yes. one of those ha he's one of those guys that just has too many of the same moments from everybody, and I'm uh, yeah. really gonna I'm, and how could you not talk about them? Like you know, 
Right. You know, <laughs> zip Don't worry, I'll, I'll take care of that part. Yeah, ziplining <laughs> down WrestleMania is still probably <coughs> the greatest thing I've ever seen, and it's not even wrestling-related. That's how many moments this gentleman has. So I'm excited. Are you excited? Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels is one of those fun things to talk about me, for me because we're such big Bret Hart fans. Like, we, you know, we always are going to lean towards Bret. But Shawn, like, when you get down to it, yeah, him and Bret feuded, and so, like, if you're like me, even when you were a kid, like it, the the Montreal Screwjob still hurts me to this day. And uh, then finding out later that it was because Sean just didn't want to do it, it, any business with Brett, didn't want to help him out in any way, didn't want to do didn't want to do what was right for the company. Even just it, it's it. The, and then reading Sean's book, which I really thoroughly enjoyed until he got to the part where he tried to say that Owen Hart's a better wrestler than Brett. And uh, that's where he lost me. And uh, it, it, it's so there's that little bit of that feud there that Brett's my guy. And I was young enough at the time to really uh, get invested in that. So Sean um, doesn't always get the love and adoration for me that maybe he deserves, but this will be a moment where we get to heap praise on him and uh, not just be be an angry bad heart fan. <laughs> well, you could certainly surprise me. Like, give me a bunch of moments that suck ass for you. That'd be great. Or maybe just uh, some crazy. Oh, just the moments where he's being an asshole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shawn Michaels stomps on Vader's face. Number one, when Owen Hart knocked that bitch out and he laid in the ring and didn't move. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's certainly a plethora of possibilities, and I can't wait to talk about it. And, of course, we're going to wrap up Valentine's Day month with the top ten Couples in wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. Who knows who could be mentioned on Cole's side of things multiple times? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number one. <laughs> number one and ten. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, this was a last-minute thing. We both got shit going on in life. I'm a little under the weather, as you can tell by my voice today. Not, not, not hitting the high notes. And uh, Never fear. The creative team is here, and we will be back next week with the top with back-to-back top tens coming up so for ron kilborn i am your host cole dawson saying thank you we love you and good night thanks for listening find us on instagram and twitter at creative team pod or just the creative team on facebook follow cole dawson on twitter and instagram at cole 2130 and follow yours truly at ron underscore kilborn We'll see you next week on another episode of The Creative Team.